0: enjoy. Well, Merry Christmas and thank you for being here. Um, I just came from North Auditorium and it's at capacity too. So when you leave today, it's probably going to be a little congested. That's the understatement of the year, isn't it? But here at New Spring, I do want you to know we're working on more additional parking and new roads in and out of our campus. We never take it lightly that anyone spends part of their weekend with us. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you to all of you in North Auditorium, those of you watching online and on television. Well, our series right now is called Angels, and it's about just what you would think it's about. It's about angels. Angels are mysterious. You know, we don't exactly know what they are, and yet at the same time, they're throughout the Bible. You find angels in Genesis. You find them in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. You find them everywhere in between. But they are quite mysterious in the sense that the essence of who they are and what they are is a little bit beyond our grasp. What we do know from the Bible is they're not God and they're not us they're somewhere in between. However, I would say this. Sometimes there are misconceptions about angels that I think we probably should just deal with on its face. Uh, sometimes at funerals, people will say to me, "Grandma's now an angel. Well, no, she's still your grandmother. And down here in this life, we're a little below the angels. But in heaven, we're going to be above the angels, so you don't want to demote your grandmother. Uh, <laughs> but for right now, we know that there are spirit beings that the Bible calls angels. Now, I want to take two verses that we've looked at before to talk about what angels do. You know, God does not invite us into the why room very often, but he invites us into the what now room. And so in the Bible, we're told there are two verses that tell us the purpose of angels. One sort of tells it from heaven's perspective, and then the second one tells it from our perspective. Let's look at the first one. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his commands Or carry out his plans waiting for each of his commands. If you could see into heaven today, what you would see is the majestic throne of God and God is surrounded by angels. We know that from Isaiah 6 when Isaiah got a look. We also know it from the book of Revelation chapters 4 and 5 when John got a look. But the artists through the years have tried to depict what the throne of God might look like. And, you know, in the artistic renditions are like maybe 20 angels or 30 angels. But that's so far below what really exists. The Bible tells us that there are millions. And then in that same sentence, the writer goes on to say, and many millions of angels. So if you could look into the throne of God today, you would see God seated on the throne, surrounded by millions and millions of angels. Now that's heaven's perspective. The earthly perspective where you and I live is spoken to us in the book of Hebrews chapter one, where the Bible says angels are spirit messengers sent out to help and care for those who will receive God's salvation. Well, I'm a screw up in life, so it does me good to know that God has his angels looking out for me. Oh, there's one more thing. Notice that the Bible says the angels are sent out to help and care for those who will receive his salvation. Um, I'm guessing that there might be a few people here on our campus who are not sure you believe in God, but it's Christmas and you're here with your grandparents or your parents or you're here with your kids and you're like, I'm just sort of here celebrating. Well, you know, the deal is this, God sort of knows the future and he knows where you will be. And the Bible has this interesting statement about angels, that the angels are out there caring for those who ultimately will accept Christ. It makes me think about a story about the first conversation that my wife Mary Alice and I had. Now, she says it happened. I'm not completely sure it ever happened. We were in middle school. We went to a large middle school in Texas. And uh, I was in the eighth grade. She was in the sixth grade. And in those days, we were both in bands, and there was a large instrument room, and the kids could sometimes go in there to pick up their instruments at the end of the day and get a little rowdy, get a little noisy. So the band director would select responsible eighth graders to sort of monitor the instrument room, and that was where the day evidently found me. I was, according to Mary Alice, standing there with my nose in a book, and she was a little intimidated because she said I had reached my full height and she was still just a little kid. And so she needed her clarinet up from the, down from the top shelf. And so one of her friends was in the instrument room, and Mary Alice said to her, would you help me get my clarinet down? Now, she says this happened. I don't think it did. She said, a voice came from me behind the book that said, no talking in the instrument room. (laughs) I have heard Mary Alice tell that story 30 dozen times. And every time she tells friends about that story, she said, I would have so loved to have gotten up in his face and said, you're going to marry me someday. Well, you know, you could be here and be a non-theist and Jesus might be saying, you're gonna to get to know me someday. Well, if that's the case, the Bible says his angels are protecting and watching over us. So there are so many stories about angels in the Bible, but there's one night where the angels got really active and that was the night that Jesus was born. It wasn't the first time they've been active during that season. A few months before, the angel, probably Gabriel, made three visits. One was to an elderly priest named Zechariah, who he and his wife had been unable to conceive and the angel said, you guys are gonna have a kid and that kid would be the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist. The more noted interaction between an angel and a person was when the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary's like, I don't know how I'm going to have a baby. I've never been with a man. And the angel said, it's going to be a different kind of baby than ever been born before. The third time the angel appeared, it was to Joseph that said, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She didn't cheat on you during the engagement. This child is from God. So three times before, the angels had been active talking to the major players. But on the night Jesus was born, it went crazy. Heaven exploded, and the angels were on parade. I want to read a verse to you. If you grew up in church, you probably know this verse. If you're someone who likes to study, you're probably going to know this verse. If you've watched the peanut special on television, you probably know this verse. It goes like this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Don't blame them. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. What happened next, though, is extraordinary. Up till now, we've seen one angel appearing to shepherds. But in the next verse, the Bible says, and suddenly there was with The angel, a multitude. Hey, multitude, that's the word you read in the Bible that means there's a crowd so big nobody can number it. Now all of a sudden there's this big crowd of angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward mankind, the human race. I don't know exactly what went down in heaven. I hope God kept it on video. I'd like to see it someday, but I'm guessing it went something like this. Just my imagination, this is not from the Bible. But I I think there was a DA, a designated angel. (laughs) God picked one of them out. On the night that the savior is born, you're going down. I want this announcement made to shepherds in the hills outside of Bethlehem, you're on. I don't know if angels get envious, but I'm sure that the other millions and millions of angels are like, we sure would have liked to have been the DA. But hey, that angel went out, did his job, talked to the shepherds. I think at that moment, the angels are probably leaning over the edge of heaven with their toes, if angels have toes. Angels were leaning over the edge, and finally God said, okay, guys, just go do what you want to do. If you've got kids, you know that. You know, just, just go. Just go. And then suddenly they all came, and heaven exploded, and the angels were on parade. No display, no grandeur in the human race could have ever risen to that moment. No fireworks show No opening ceremony of the Olympics, nothing at Disney World, no Times Square New Year's celebration, no air show, no halftime at the Super Bowl. Nothing could have ever rivaled the moment when heaven exploded and the angels were on parade. It's no wonder we focus on that part of the Christmas story. Hey, when you go home, find your Christmas cards, wherever you have them, thumb through your Christmas cards. How many of them have angels and shepherds? I mean, it's in our music. We've already sang songs about the angels and the shepherds. Whether it's factual or not, they're in the movies, the Christmas movies. And maybe some of you even played an angel or a shepherd when you were a kid in a Christmas pageant. You know, all my life, growing up in church, watching the Christmas movies and singing the songs, I always figured that those hills outside of Bethlehem must have been magical must be an extraordinary thing to look at because that was where the angels paraded. Last June, I had an interesting experience. I was a guest of the government of Israel on a trip. I have a friend who's consul general for the nation of Israel in the southwest. He's over nine states, based in Houston. Gilad Katz, he's, he's a friend of mine. And Gilad called me one day and he said, how would you like to go to Israel with me? A guest of the foreign minister. That would be tantamount to our secretary of state. And the whole purpose of the trip was to show us things that the average tourist wouldn't see. And I will remember so well um, last June when we were being shuttled from the city of Jerusalem down to the town of Ephrat. Now to a few of you, that that may ring a bell. Do you remember when the wise men went to find the Savior and they went to the palace and they asked Herod, where is the new king? Herod didn't know, so he called in the spiritual leaders and he said, hey, where was that place in the Bible that says that where the Messiah is supposed to be born? And they said, oh, that's in Micah chapter five in the second verse. It was written 500 years before. Micah said in Bethlehem of Ephratah. Well, I'm going to the town of Ephratah. It's a fairly new town in a settlement, but it's just right below Bethlehem. And like I say, as we were being shuttled down, by the government into effort, I looked and I thought, we are going through the hills where the angels sing to the shepherds. There was one word that rose to my mind to describe what those hills looked like. And that was the word ordinary. They were the most ordinary hills. I mean, if the Flint Hills had trees, it would look like the Flint Hills. I've been here almost 35 years at New Spring, but I came, my wife and I came from from Texas. And my parents are both from the hill country of Texas. It's a beautiful area just west of Austin. And I looked at those hills and I thought they look just like the hills outside my grandfather's place. How about that? When the angels paraded, they didn't parade over a temple or over a palace or over ordinary over any grandier place. They they paraded over ordinary hills. And not just ordinary hills, but to shepherds. When the magi came, they went to the palace to talk to the king. But when the angels paraded, it was for shepherds. Now, we sort of bake them into the Christmas narrative as though they were something very special in those days. But honestly, the shepherds were, well, they they weren't considered as very important. In fact, they were despised. Most were untrained. They were poor and Because this time of year, they had to stay out in the fields. They couldn't bathe regularly. They weren't even allowed to go into the temple. In this sermon, this short sermon I'm bringing to you today in December of 2019, what does this all mean to us? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think what happened the night Jesus was born was microcosmic of the whole message of the Bible. Here at New Spring, we say something, and I always hope it's understood. We always say that we hate religion. We definitely don't mean that we hate the people in religion. We just hate the systemization of what God has to say. Anytime man gets a hold of the truth and starts systematizing it, it'll lose its power. And you can take just about any religion you want to take, and ultimately it comes down to this. If you jump through enough hoops, perhaps the deity, whatever it is, will accept you. The message of this book is 180 degrees away from that. The message of this book is the two things that we see in this story. God comes to us in our ordinariness. I have some good friends who are non-theists, and we love to talk and dialogue about faith. And several times, my friends who are very brilliant Have said to me, Mark, we don't believe in God, but if God demonstrated himself in some sort of cataclysmic way, then we would be forced to believe. And I appreciate their academic integrity in making that comment. But what I've discovered, and I have seen God do a lot of miracles. But what I've discovered is God tends to come to us in our ordinariness. (laughs) That verse that you and I are so familiar with goes like this, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Could have just as easily been, and there were in the basement plumbers fixing pipes, or there were at McDonald's high school kids getting ready to close the store, or there were on the fifth floor nurses on the night shift. I mean, whatever career any of us has, it could be like that, but that's how God tends to come to us in our ordinariness when we least expect it. But as I said, religion will never be enough because of the second thing. You remember the shepherds? remember how the shepherds couldn't get to worship? And so the angels came to them? The problem with religion is that you and I can never get to God. We're flawed, broken people. We do something called sin. And I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. I mean, even if I promised before God that I could be perfect the rest of my life, which I can't be, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What am I going to do with my rap sheet? That's the problem with religion. But God comes to us in our ordinariness. And and think about this. When Jesus came into our world, for the first time, God knew what it was like to be hungry. God knew what it was like to be thirsty. God knew what it was like to be tired. God knew what it was like to be insulted. And and yes, unfortunately, like some of you, God knew what it was like to be abused. God comes to us in our ordinariness. And when we can't get to him, he comes to us. Well, as I get ready to finish this talk, I could have raised a question, so I want to deal with it now. Somebody might say, well, Mark, I don't understand something. You you said the angels were like leaning over the edge the night that Jesus was born. Where were they when he was crucified? Good question. And thankfully, Jesus answers that question. 33 years later, after Jesus ran the table and lived a life of perfection that you and I can't live, he laid that body down on a Roman cross, And after they had pulled his beard out, beaten him so hard that he didn't even look recognizable as human, beat a crown of thorns into him as they were nailing him into the cross. Well, there was a reason why the angels were not there. And just a few hours before, Jesus explained it. When he was being arrested, Simon Peter pulled out his sword and was going to cut the guy's head off, and Jesus stopped him. And here's what Jesus said to Peter. Surely you know I could ask my father. And he would give me more than 12 armies of angels, but it must happen this way. I want you to think about something that you might never have thought about. When Jesus was on the cross with his arms outstretched, yes, he was calling for us to come to him, but he was also holding back the angels. Because there were millions of angels watching that moment and all Jesus had to do was just the faint motion of saying the trip is aborted and they would have rushed down and taken care of business. But they didn't because they were held back. That is the story of Christmas. When we couldn't get to God, God came to us. And he came to us in our ordinariness. It's been amazing to me how fast all these years have gone by that we've been in Kansas and at the church. I was 28 when I came here. I'm 63 now. I don't know how I got here. But, you know, when I first came here, my kids were really small, and now I've got grandkids. And this didn't happen with me, but it could have. I heard this story about a grandfather who was visiting his daughter and his grandkids for the Christmas holidays. And he walked into the living room where there was a playpen with his two-year-old grandson. And the two-year-old grandson reached up to his grandfather with a tear streaming down his face and said, Papa, pick me up. And he was just about to do it, but his daughter walked in the room and said, Dad, you can't pick him up. He's being punished. He's there for a reason. You have to leave him there. You can't pick him up. And then she left the room. And then the little boy reached up his arms again, tears still streaming down his face. Papa, please pick me up. The grandfather knew he couldn't pick him up because he'd be in trouble with his daughter. So he climbed into the playpen with him. (laughs) (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of this book that God came to us in our ordinariness, and when we couldn't get to him, he climbed into the playpen with us. And he made a way for us to go to heaven, and he left a deal on the table that's still in effect today. What do you think he wants from us? I mean, it all comes down to the Christmas story because see, God came into our world to make a way for us to go where he is. And Jesus paid for us to have a life that we can't ever earn on our own. And right now, God has a deal on the table. And that deal is spelled out for us in Romans 10, verse 13. It says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is it exactly that God wants from us? <laughs> I heard a story about a couple who have been dating for a long time. The guy was five years older than she and they were going through college, trying to get their careers underway, and they lived in different places. And but every year for seven years, he asked her to marry him, and she said, "No, it's not a good time." So finally, they're both living in Dallas at the same time, and he invited her out to dinner for Christmas Eve, and thought, "One more time, I'm going to ask her to marry me." And he actually bought an engagement ring this time, but he thought, "Well, if she says no, maybe it's just not meant to be, and they go their separate ways." So. They get to dinner that night, and um, he notices that she has a present for him, and he doesn't want that present to upstage his engagement ring. So before he, you know, asks the question, he said, well, what do you have for me? What's your Christmas gift for me? She said, well, why don't you open it up? So he opened it up, and it was a cross stitch that she had made for him. And in the middle of that cross stitch was just one word that said Yes. You know, I've, I don't do weddings anymore here, but I've done so many at the old location in here. And I stood before brides and grooms and I've asked a bride, will you have this man to be your husband? Nine times out of 10, he didn't deserve her. But if she said yes, we were in business. I've never had anybody say no, but I guess we'd go back and eat cake and drink punch and that'd be it. God is looking for Yes. Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. Three days later, he walked out of his grave under his own power and he signified that everything he said was true. And right now the deal is on the table that no matter who you are, what you've been or what you've done, if you're willing to put your hand by faith in the hands of Jesus and trust him as your Lord and Savior and King, all your sins are washed away, you're adopted into God's family, You become his daughter, you become his son and your life is forever secure in Christ. If that sounds beautiful, I can't think of a better time to receive that gift than on Christmas Eve. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And these aren't magic words. They're just words that say yes to God. And I'm going to pray each line slowly so that if you want to repeat it after me, I want you to be able to digest it and decide whether you want to say these things to God. But if you do say them, God, a living God is on the other end. Would you just bow your heads with me, please? You can pray silently or pray out loud, whatever you wish. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm broken beyond repair, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And because you've offered me the gift of eternal life, I receive it. I want Jesus as my savior. I want him as my king. Give me the strength to follow him in Jesus' name. Just remain standing with me for a minute. We have a a lot of great stuff left in our service. But I I just want to say two things to you before we receive the offering. The first thing is, um, if you just pray with me to receive Christ, you're going to see in the video a way that you can receive a gift. I know we're congested in this service, but a way that you can receive a gift that i prepared for you today. It's got a Bible like I preach from and a book I wrote, some other cool stuff. You'll see it in just a minute. Secondly, we desperately want you to come back and experience services with us at New Spring. We have them on Saturdays and Sundays. But next weekend, there will not be a service on this campus. We have over 100 staff members, and they are literally working around the clock for all these seven services. A lot of them will get to be with their families. And so several years ago, we just decided to take the next week off and give our staff time to be with their families. By the way, it also takes a 1,000 volunteers to do Christmas Eve services here at New Spring. So thank you. They deserve it. So we will not have services on our campus next week, but we've prepared an online service experience where you can check in. You'll see that as well. So please go ahead and have a seat. There's more to come. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to receive the offering, but it's going to be my time to say goodbye because this is the last part of my service for this year. May God bless you from Mary Alice and my family. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.